As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, welcome back to Informed Consent. Uh, before we jump into our episode, I want to give a quick word from our sponsor, Audible.com. Head over to audibletrial.com slash informedconsent to get a free audiobook download and a free month of the Audible service. I use Audible um, at least once a day um, on my drive to and from work or on my way to go see clients. Um, I just finished two books, and uh, one of the books, the first one that I finished um, recently, I'm recommending to everyone that I meet, everyone that's in my field. It's called The Anatomy of Peace by the Arbinger Institute. They structured the book really well. Um, it was really easy to digest, um, and uh, I, I couldn't stop listening to it. Um, on more than one occasion, I was late <laughs> to meetings to work because I was like, I gotta, I gotta finish this chapter. Um, so I highly recommend The Anatomy of Peace to you guys. So if you want to get that uh, book, or you have another book that you've been wanting to read, um, then get your free download over at audibletrial.com slash informed consent. Alright guys, that is all I have for you guys today. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. in an adoption agency for how long? For about 15 years. Okay. No, 11 years. Okay. Yeah. So, what are we going to cover today? Today are we going to cover everything, or... Well, there's just so much to cover when it comes to adoption. If you're looking at adoption from the standpoint of mental health, and as a mental health treatment provider, what you might encounter, what you need to know, I mean, you're talking hours upon hours yeah. of training to get every single piece of this in. So we might need to break this up into a yeah, couple episodes. Yeah, and for our listeners, our show notes are longer than they usually are, and Heather showed me a binder that's a five-inch binder, which I don't know if our listeners are millennials, they may not Even know what a know binder a, is? A, a, <laughs> what the thickness of a binder really means. Um, so it, it is a lot of information. Are we going to talk about training at all? About how to get training yeah yeah absolutely okay. let's just start there because okay. um i i'm i'm deemed however you deem someone an adoption competent mental health provider um and that is because i completed a year-long training that was okay pretty darn intense okay. through case which is the center for adoption support and education and 
in addition to that, had consultation hours in their model. So, wow. or, or it's not really model, just making sure that you're looking at all the different facets of adoption mm-hmm. when you're staffing cases for mental health. So, it's big. So, was it, how was it structured? Um, we had... The year is like... Yeah. So, it was um, 11 face-to-face trainings um, once a month for a full day, full work day. And then one was online. The first one was online. When you look at adoption law and history mm-hmm. and all that stuff, which you really need yeah. to know. Um, because based on who you're working with, their adoption will, experience will be different based on how adoption was done and uh, how what the laws were then. Because gotcha. it has evolved over the course of, of human history, but also especially in the United States. Adoption looks different than it did in the last generation, than it did in the generation gotcha. before that. Okay. Yeah, so you'll hear stories and you'll be like, did that really happen? It's like, yeah, that's how they did it back then. So, and that, you know, if you look at like generationally how families address adoption within their family, it may be based on grandma's experience with adoption too. So, this is big. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, I didn't realize. Um, Okay, so what do you, so, uh, long pause. Do you want to talk about your experiences or the experiences of the community? Do you see how well we uh, <laughs> we plan for this guy? <laughs> do you want to do what? Because um, I, I mean, a lot of my clients at the last agency that you and I worked at were adoption cases. So, do you want to talk about it from the point of view of the clinician who's going into that adopted family's house, or do you want to talk about it from the point of view of of what how you did things? So let's let's just talk about to start with, and then listen. You guys, let us know what you want to hear yeah. more of. Yeah, okay. Chances this is going to be a, a two or three part yes. series. So to start with, let's just talk about the different ways you can encounter adoption in okay. your clinical work, and and that can be with birth families. So it's a birth mom or a birth father who either currently are considering adoption or who have placed a child for adoption or are coming for different reasons. Um, and and having placed a child for adoption may not be their presenting uh-huh. problem, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Um, also adopted individuals. So you can be working with a child who's been adopted um, in their current adoptive home or someone who has been adopted previously and is dealing with different issues. Mm-hmm. And that may play a role that they're not sure about yet, um, but as you work with them, that comes up. Okay. Um, And so really being mindful that that can play a role here. Um, And then when you're working with adoptive families, there are different phases of adoption. So there's pre-placement. So there are those people who have, who are looking at the possibility. So they've either are contemplating adoption, have started the home study process, or are awaiting the child kind gotcha. of thing. Okay. Um, and then there's once the child's placed, um, there is a post-placement period of time where there's services provided mm-hmm. for a family. So a lot of times, some community mental health stuff can be placed in there to help support that adoptive family, gotcha. okay. um, especially if it's a foster care adoption. So that's right. a whole other thing. Yeah. Um, and then. Also, you want to look at, like, what happens after everybody leaves. Yeah. And then also considering sibling and extended family. So there's so many ways that someone can be touched by adoption. Okay. And so as mental health professionals, we need to kind of screen for that and be aware that something may be coming from that. Right, right, right. Yeah. 
And it might be helpful for us to just start talking about, like, different components of adoption, mental health kind of thing. Um, like, what, what, do, what are some of the different areas that we need to be mindful of mm-hmm. in our work? Um, and so if we're going to do work with adoptive families or adopted individual, like, what kind of things we need to be looking for and aware of. Okay. So starting with, like, just understanding like the nature of adoption as far as how families are formed and the different types of adoptions. Okay. So there are so many different ways a family can be formed, right? We know that like in everyday life, but it's the same for adoption. Um, Each case is really unique. And so we need to understand that family's story. I mean, that's the very Mm -hmm. beginning. Let's start with who's here, how this family formed, what's going on and really understand like what's going on. Yeah. Because it's going to be different for every single one, you know, and then, and it, Every, every family is formed differently because there's so many different types of adoption, right. too. So okay. there's that traditional closed adoption where the child had, there's no knowledge, um, no information shared between birth and, and adopted adoptive families. families. Uh-huh. Um, and so you have to kind of like petition to get that information. That's like historically the way things were done. Everything was closed. And still in foster care, that's a lot of the case, too. So even though you have a foster care file that's more than five-inch yeah, binder, right. um, it's like a five-foot binder, uh-huh. um, every, when that child moves into adoption, everything about that biological family is taken out of that file. Holy so, shit. So there's no way to then go. That's why they say, let's get all the life books done. Let's get all the information done. Before a child is placed for adoption, before the adoption, before it moves from foster care to adoption. Wow. Because then once it moves, they, all that's gone. Why? Because of closed adoption. Purely just because. Yeah, it's the historical way they did things. And it was to protect birth families. It was ideally to protect mm-hmm. the child, you know, things like that. Has this been revisited? Sure. So now there's a lot more open and partially open adoptions. Okay. And like I said... When a child's in foster care, if they are moving to adoption, we do something called a life book, which I would recommend if you are working with a child who's been adopted and their family has not done a life book with them, that that be one of the great ways that you get to know their story uh-huh. and help them understand themselves. And so a family will do this life book, or the social workers do the life book. A lot of times there's, in this area, we have adoption programs that go out and work with kids in foster care who are in a pre-adoptive placement um, or an adoptive placement to help them get their life book done so that they have all that information about birth family gathered um, in one spot. And what's Um, a life book? (laughs) (laughs) It's a book of your life, right? Right. So there are, you can Google it. There are templates that you can buy. There are templates online. There's programs for it. Mm -hmm. My favorite way is to get a scrapbook. So is it just, it's literally just documentation? Of who they are. Like, think about... Well, I don't know. Where are you in the birth order? You may or may not have a baby book. Um, My oldest does. My youngest (laughs) kind of has one. Um, But there are like a crap ton of scrapbooks of Uh my kids. There's like all this documentation of their life. Gotcha. That's not necessarily there for an adoptive child as far as their birth family goes. And so gathering all that information, what you know about the birth family, what if they're in foster care, what they know about their life up until that point. Copies of birth certificates, copies of everything, any any information you can get in gotcha. about. And a lot of times, you can include the birth family in getting this stuff from them, too. Yeah. You know, so just creating this book about mm-hmm. 
Um, and then, like we were talking about open and partially open adoption. Open adoption, and there's different levels to that, of course. Open adoption would be where the parties agree, birth and adoptive parties agree, that they're going to be open and there will be some level mm-hmm. of involvement. Right. Whether it be, and so that's a continuum. That's why we say open and partially open. Um, because that will look like, you know, how much contact will mm-hmm. we have? Will it be through letters? Because some adoption agencies will um, be the carrier of the mail, basically. Oh, okay. So we'll send um, updates to the birth mom to the agency and then those will get either picked up by her or sent to her and then she can send them to the family and Mm -hmm. the child or it can be much more open than that there can be visits depending upon whether the child has had a previous history of like spending time with their Mm -hmm. family kind of thing there was and I don't know for certain um, if this is still going on but there was a movement towards what they called and I'm not going to say this correctly like a post-adoption visitation kind of Uh order where they were putting this into orders through Department of Social Services in order to give... So what happens with Department of Social Services is it's closed adoption. They, they, Uh at the time, they may, that's may have changed just recently, but I haven't seen that. Um, In Virginia, it's a closed adoption. So in order to way to make it a little more open and to help families who really aren't going to get their kids back and help them uh-huh. to make a decision not to have their rights terminated and then their child be adopted, but to terminate, to voluntarily release their rights and then have some contact with their child post-adoption mm-hmm. and to have that into a legal plan, gotcha. this was there. Now, some people didn't want to do that because... You have a visitation order now right. in front of you, and you have to comply with that. Right. So, but for some families, that gave some legal standing uh-huh. to help this process move along. Gotcha. So, so many different ways to do that. And like we just said, there's there's foster care, there's voluntary termination of rights, there's involuntary mm-hmm. termination of rights. Now that can be reversed. Um, okay. Termination of rights can be reversed, but not if the child's been adopted. Okay. Only if there's been a certain in Virginia, if there's been a certain amount of time. And the parents can show, and the child's still not in a permanent placement, and the parents can show that they've taken care of whatever's uh-huh. gone on. So two years or more kind of thing. Gotcha. So if there was drug use, they've been clean and sober for a few years, gotcha. the child's still not in an adoptive placement. Because what would happen was we would see these teenagers who rights were terminated on, parents have cleaned up their act, and now they're still in foster care. Yeah. They don't have a permanent placement. Yeah. So is there a way to reunify these families, right, to right, give the right. kids some rights back, too? Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. So, and then you've got kinship, which mm-hmm. is means a lot of things. Yes, yeah. the it's the kinship network. Is it grandparents? Is it step parents? Is it aunt in Toledo who didn't mm-hmm. know this child? Right. You know, kind of thing. So, yeah. there's all these other ways to form that. And there's been a lot of legislation, a lot of push to help to fund kinship adoptions. You know, oh, to wow. help to provide some support because mm-hmm. there's adoption support if you adopt through special needs um, right. cases. So to provide the kinship families with some adoption support, too, because a lot of times once the kinship adoption takes place, it's kind of cut off. Yeah, so yeah. to do that. So and then and that's all domestic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and there's infant adoption in domestic, you uh-huh. know, but then then you look at international and each country is different. Mm-hmm. Um, some countries are now closed to us that used to be open Um the way they do it's different. Some countries have institutions like orphanages to uh-huh. house children. Some have foster care. Some of that looks similar to the U.S. Some uh-huh. is very different. Gotcha. So, 
just that alone. How much time do we That's, spend yeah. on that? And we're in the first bullet point kind yeah, of thing. That's, yeah, that's uh, muddled. Yeah. So really, under, that's why it's so important to understand what, what, what the case into. is and what you're getting into. Yeah. And what are the options? If you're working with a child or a family um, who is looking to place or who are placing or this is a foster care situation, mm-hmm. really, there are options here. Let's right. dig into what we yeah. can do legally and how can we set this up for this family. Right, right. Kind of like what we talked about in collaborative divorce. This can be your family's story. Let's yeah. look at how we need to form it kind right, of thing right, if you right. have that power at the yeah, time. Yeah, if you have that information too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. And so, going back to the life book, I think one of the early things we need to talk about, which is way down here in in the bottom of our show notes, but I just need to say it now because it's in my head, is kids need to know their story, and they need to know their story pretty darn quickly. Yes. So, their story needs to be a natural unfolding thing. You will work with adults who don't know their story when you look at adopted individuals, and that carries with them for a long time Mm -hmm. that leaves so much doubt and so kids really need to know what the details are of their stories and i think it's um like a distinction could be made that that regardless of a life book or therapy or a healthy adoption a story will be written but it's it's absolutely it's not going to be um you know it's uh trueness will be yeah, because it's what the narrative that someone tells themselves. And most of the time, if you don't know the real story, mm-hmm. it's much more negative than right. the real story ever could be. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and there's a lot of shame involved with it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's that reinforces the idea of let's get the facts down in this life book so that you're not... Because, I mean, our minds do crazy things and it wants to fill in the gaps and it wants to have reasons and whys and, and all of that stuff. Um so a story will be written, It just flushing it all out and really having an, a firm understanding and a reference point um, will probably, for the adoption case, will probably be the foundation from which they can leapfrog through the rest of their lives. Absolutely. Too. And that's why there's so many books written for children about how to explain adoption to your child. Yeah. And so, like... From the minute that you're reading to your ch- adopted child, you're talking about tummy mommy and and this mommy right. or birth mom and adopted mom, you know, or dad or however uh-huh. that goes. I keep saying mom, but <laughs> yeah, maybe because that, that's <laughs> me. Um, but certainly, that's an unfolding story that needs to start. We talk when you have a biological child, you talk about their birth with them pretty early yeah. on. They're asking questions, yeah. and so the same needs to unfold for. But there's a lot of times there's been so much secret and we don't want to tell the child this cause they can't handle it. Right. But if there's some, some details that are developmentally inappropriate, yeah. then you don't share those until they're right. a little bit older. But by the time they're early teens, they need to know their Everything. full story, yeah, even absolutely. the ugly parts of right. it. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause I mean, like we said, they're going to fill it in one way or another. Yeah. Um, Okay. What does... Which does move into our next kind yeah. of bullet point. I didn't realize that when we're talking about the clinical issues that come up with separation, loss, and attachment. So knowing your story, first yeah. of all, being the biggest piece. And knowing that the person who's there with you is someone you can go to for information and will t- talk to you honestly. Right, and give you the, yeah. the all of the information that they have um, and that it's hopefully true. Yes. Because um, historically it has been accurate. Yes. And and let's just start with attachment because I don't want to go into all the into a de- attachment work. Right. But 
being mindful that attachment could be here mm-hmm. as a part of this. Yeah. Um, do we need to do attachment? And what does that look like? Does that look like we address parent attachment styles, the child's, what's happening with the child attachment-wise, right. what's happening with the two of them together, or is there some impact with foster care, if they've been in an orphanage situation, mm-hmm. so much of the time you'll see some attachment issues, st- issues there, um, just because there's so many kids, the ratio yeah. just doesn't work out. You don't get loved and held and things right. like that in the same <laughs> way. Um, although you will see that the kids can comfort each other, right. and so there's a, there's a whole other piece <laughs> of it. <laughs> um, but just being aware and having a, a pretty good grasp on attachment work and what needs to go into that and just what attachment styles are mm-hmm. there. Um, but looking at the separation and loss, is this a foster care case? Mm-hmm. Was this child, even with children who are adopted at birth, there can still be some loss issues right. there. I mean, that that child has grown in this mother for... Nine months. Nine months. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully nine months. And there is some, there's, a, there's an attachment at birth. Mm-hmm. And so that can be disrupted. And so being aware of that. So if you're looking to adopt, if you're expecting to adopt an infant, educate yourself on what this will look like. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, but this isn't just about the child's grief and loss. There are so many other ways mm-hmm. for there to be grief and loss. Um, if it's an older child... Their grief and loss is going to look different than the younger child. They've had more time to have something to grieve. Right. Um, and that could be an ambivalent grief, too, depending upon what their life was like mm-hmm. um, beforehand. Um, but there's also some, can be some grief and loss with adopted family, families. And it, there's birth family grief and loss, but then there's adopted family grief and loss. A lot of times... When people come to adoption, they come because they don't can't biologically have their own children. Uh-huh. That's not the only way people come to adoption. People come to adoption for so many different reasons. But that's one of the areas. And so being able to address the grief and loss that's associated with infertility, associated with the loss of the dream of the way mm-hmm. this family was going to look, and two, you have an idea in your mind of what this is going to look like, right. and when it doesn't go just right... This isn't what we signed up for. There's a loss kind of thing, too. So, And also, too, that whole loss of a dream kind of thing can happen with grandparents as well. Mm -hmm. And how's that narrative being told to the parents kind of thing, too? You know, like, you don't have to do this, you know, kind of thing. Or, oh, yeah, it's because he's adopted or something like that, you know. And so you're not really getting the support you Uh need. So really looking at what are the people around you telling you about this loss Mm -hmm. as well. What is the, um, the kid hearing? Yeah, what's the kid you hearing? Know? What's the siblings feel like? Did this disrupt the birth order here? Yeah. Did this, you know, are they even on board with this? Uh-huh. You know, were they older kids and now you've got these little kids in the house who are driving us insane and taking away your attention? Uh-huh. Like, what, what does this look like for them? Yeah. You know? And they, again, ambivalence because right. <laughs> they could right. be happy or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very interesting. I had a thought of, you know, what does that look like if that birth order, birth order is disrupted, and what that looks like, because um, that's something I hadn't thought of. Well, and sometimes it doesn't affect a family, yeah. and sometimes it does, yeah. and sometimes it affects it profoundly, and sometimes minimally. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. That's something I never thought of, um, but okay. Well, and I know, like, for my family, 
my son is all about birthright. Uh-huh. Like, he <laughs> is the oldest, and he asks frequently, so you have the birthright in your family? Who has the birthright in dad's family? Like, he hears birthright <laughs> kind of thing, like biblical kind uh-huh. of references, and I'm like, I don't know what kind of birthright you think <laughs> right. you're getting here. He gets the farm, right? He <laughs> yeah. gets the farm and the, yeah. and the kingdom. Yeah. But it does. I mean, you have an identity based on your birth order, and right. you're a lot of times your personality is shaped by that birth order. Yeah. I would agree with that. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I would too. Oldest. Um, So, that's just a brief look at that. Um, And then you have to look at the developmental challenges um, within the experience of adoption. So, we talked a little bit about generational challenges. Um, So... What what adoption and foster care looked like in certain times, mm-hmm. and if ever you want to like dig into that research or dig into those stories, it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. There are so many books written about orphan trains, about growing up in foster care, um, when the the social welfare was just being formed. So uh-huh. like, you know, um, there, oh, I can't remember the name of the book. I wish I would have remembered it. Um, but there are some there. I'll, I'll find it. I'm going to link it on the show notes. Okay. There's a story of a girl who grew up in, in like Catholic charities, foster homes uh-huh. from an early age all the way up through. And as you look at the history, you, you see how her story played wow. out and what could, what's different now. And so it's, it's quite fascinating hmm. to look at the different ways that this happened. And a lot of, some kids were still adopted overseas, even, uh-huh. you know, in our parents and grandparents generation. So, that was still taking place, and that was very different experience mm-hmm. for those families and for those kids. But again, there was and and there wasn't the same right to parent, uh-huh. you know, right. in in other generations as we have now. Uh-huh. Um, and so a lot of times, birth parents did not want to give up their children, right. but they didn't have a, an option. Right. Um, and still now, sometimes they don't know if they really want to do it, and right. there's still family influence Uh on whether they do it or not. So from a birth parent's story, really understanding their story and what that's like for them too. Right, right. Yeah. And the shame that goes along with that. Yeah, giving up. Yeah, yeah, the shame just is all around if if you let it be here. Um, So there are also developmental tasks that have to take place um, that in the adoption research, these developmental tasks for an adopted individual mm-hmm. have come to light. The first of that being knowing your story. Gotcha. So learning your so adoption story. This would story. be like um, like the stages of um, like our developmental stages, mm-hmm. but within, within the, the adoption process concept. of being adopted. Yeah. And so then there's that coping with loss. And again, with any grief and loss, this stuff comes back up. Right. So um, being aware of that. And then there's the searching for answers about one's origin, so, and the reasons why. So even though you know the story, like, why? Why, right. Why was I, why was it me? Mm-hmm. Especially if you know there were siblings. Yeah. Or, you know, or or later on, why hasn't she reached out to me? Or why didn't he come looking mm-hmm. for me? Why didn't he fight for me kind right. of thing? Um, and there's also the coping with the adoption stigma. We've ta- mm-hmm. I've talked about shame a couple different yeah. times. There's still a stigma. You know, there's stigmas all around the yeah, health. And so that's that's definitely the case. What was wrong with you? What was wrong with your family? Yeah. You know, what was wrong with me? Yeah, was I broken? Um, was there something wrong? Yeah. And then 
as with any stages, integrating that into your identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that changes based on your developmental age, too. All of these do. Yes. Um, and then validating your affiliation with two families or mm-hmm. more. Yeah. Um, because there may be three families out yeah. there, you know. Mom and dad biologically didn't get married or they mm-hmm. didn't stay together and then they have other families. Yep. And so there can be lots of siblings yeah. that's there. Um, and that it's okay. And that you're not going to hurt adoptive parents' feelings right. because, or adoptive siblings' feelings because you also identify right, with right, these. Right. And so where do I identify and how can I identify with all these mm-hmm. people um, is a real big step. And that takes some finesse from the adoptive, adoptive families yes. to be able to... Um, kind of give that permission mm-hmm. not that it requires permission but kind of from a psychological position of like it's okay that you're sharing everything like yes. we know that that we're here and we're your family but yet we understand that other stuff yeah is going absolutely on. Yeah. well and when you look <clears throat> at in adopt or in foster care situations to have this happen pre-adoption yeah is so powerful for the children and their adjustment yeah And for the families and their adjustment. Mm -hmm. Because this can be so hard. You know, a lot of times children in foster care have all this ambivalence and these, like, different loyalty struggles Mm -hmm. with, but I like my adoptive family. Why do they keep saying they're bad? Or why does my adoptive family keep saying my birth family's bad? I love them both kind of thing. And so when we we put the child first and support this child, then that that changes. Everything. The the adopted individual can feel like Uh that allegiance is okay everywhere around. Gotcha. And if, if the birth family is not known to the child, a lot of times there's a consideration Mm -hmm. for finding that birth family. Right, right. How does that happen if all of their information has been redacted or deleted? Yeah, so there is a process um, where you can go to the agency and depending upon when you were adopted, Uh because the laws are different based on your adoption year, um, go to the adoption agency where you, through which we were adopted, the Department of Social Services, and petition to get those records. And that process will look different. Um, Sometimes you have to wait until the birth parent has also check the box uh, too okay. to say like you both have to say we're looking and then we match up or it could be based this on could be years and years apart mm-hmm. jeez okay yeah and so it really is and it depends on the state it depends on the what year different states so if you're living in one state yeah. and the, the adoption happened in a different state it's based on the laws in the adopted okay. state gotcha. yeah so so it's based on the state and the year uh-huh. really wow. um yes so that that's why it's really important to kind of seek out someone who knows what they're doing and can help yeah. lead you through this process legally mm-hmm. for how to find this information gotcha. too. So to do searches, but there's also things like private investigators. And uh-huh. so if you have a little bit of information and we have the internet now, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so there's a lot of different ways yeah. that you can find information now that you couldn't find before. before. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. may just be lost. Sure. Gotcha. Well, and, you know, and it really depends on, sometimes kids were adopted a little older, and so they remember some of these people. And let's face it, you can terminate a parent's rights, but you cannot always terminate their Facebook connection (laughs) (laughs) to their child. That is a good Okay, so we have something called Facebook now. Oh, man, I don't even think about that. So this really, this is very different now than it used to be, which is why I say you have to look at generationally where we are. Wow. I feel like we have just 
scratch the surface on mm-hmm. all of this stuff. Um, and I think we would be remiss not to like, like really flesh this out and tackle a bunch of these, I guess, a lot of what we talked about was a kind of an overview, but really diving into each one and pulling out um, what may be useful for that, that to our listeners, to the community sure. mental health clinicians that are, that are, because I was, as you were talking, I was thinking about a client that I actually covered for a couple of weeks ago, and I couldn't, I was like, I've heard this story somewhere, and I can't remember what it was, and then I remembered, I was like, oh yeah, it was that client that I covered for, where this was part of the thing, the, the child was adopted by um, extended family, but knew that parents had separated, and one or both of the parents still had custody of mm-hmm. siblings, but not the client, so it was like all this stuff, and they're like, we don't know why he's angry, um, <laughs> and uh, it's, 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 um, it's information like this that can really just level up the clinician's ability to provide more niched and purposeful Absolutely, because when you hear adoption, you can dig a little deeper to see, is this Well, clearly we can dig in, you know, miles deep. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think this this may be a good niche for us to, for the next couple weeks, to really just dive in and pull out all that useful information. Sure, yeah. Because I can't think of of a stint that I had in community mental health where there was not an adoptive case in there. It was like I always had one, one like... Absolutely, yes. Or one in the oven. So, um, so let's leave it here for today. And uh, next week we'll dive into different topics and you and I sure. can figure that out when that happens. Absolutely. Is there anything else that you want to leave our listeners with? Email us. Let us know what you want to know about this. If you are struggling with something on your caseload... Let's hit that first. Yeah. Let us know what pieces of adoption you want to know about. Yeah, and I think nothing... Because we haven't even finished the overview of adoption. Right, no. So yeah. there's way more here. There's a lot. Yeah. And I think there... I think it goes... It's it's often kind of overlooked, and I know in, in my experience, it's, it's often overlooked, uh, this idea of really, really specializing um, in things. And if you're new in the field, you don't... You really don't know how um, how much of a game changer it can be to actually have a specialist talk about something that a problem that you're having. Yes. Um, if someone is that is all they do, and you go to them with that problem, it's like a door opens up and it's infinite space, mm-hmm. and you've been living in like a two by two box or room. Um, so, I would venture to guess that. There probably is not, there's maybe someone that knows stuff and has resources, but there's probably not an expert on adoption at your agency. They may know like, oh yeah, go talk to this person or, oh, we always refer to this agency or or this person, but there may not be an expert that you can collaborate with. So if you um, are looking for that collaboration, you're looking to network to get that information uh, email us at contact at informedconsentpodcast.com or um, just go to our website and um, click the join the conversation button. Absolutely. And uh, all of that. Um, and, and you'll you get have... us and, and we'll be able to either point you in the right direction or um, at least give you, I don't know, probably more niched information. Sure. And also you can go to the case um, website, which is adoptionsupport.org. They have 
like you can go through this training. Uh-huh. Um, that's that's a year long training. Um, you can also they have lots of affordable webinars on there too. So that's another option for finding some Perfect. more information too. Yeah. Perfect. If you guys have any ideas or have any um, questions, uh, like we said, feel free to join the conversation at our website or just email us, and uh, we'll either include it in, in the next step, next couple episodes um, that way, because I'm sure if someone has a question, everyone does. So uh, that's it for us for today. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you guys again next week. Join the conversation every week after the episode over at informedconsentpodcast.com. This is also where you'll find archived episodes and show notes to each episode, plus our recommended reading list, for clinicians wanting to take their education to a new level. Go there and click join the conversation now. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.